you know, it's, it's the same, I believe, in any part of life when you're beginning something, whether it's a new chapter or whether you're you know, starting a business, you can't predict everything that's going to happen. And just being present enough and really just saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm enjoying it. And let's just do this thing. That's really where, where I was at. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Dana Cavalia spent his career with the New York Yankees organization as the director of strength and conditioning, training the likes of Jeter, Riviera, and Posada during their greatest years. Dana wanted to work with the Yankees from a very young age, first as a player, but later he realized where his passions truly lied in training, preparing, and coaching others. He says that he created a spot for himself in the big leagues, but that doesn't mean he simply waited around for that opportunity to come to him. What he really claims is that whatever you do to do it well and to be great at it, there is a commitment that goes toward that. Today, Dana is a high-performance speaker and consultant for pro athletes, entrepreneurs, business executives, workforces, and universities, and he helps implement lifestyle strategies to reduce stress, improve work-life balance, and most importantly, improve daily performance outcomes. One of the things Dana is most outspoken about is the fact that running a business in many ways is more difficult than being a pro athlete, and it takes conditioning to achieve peak performance there as well. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact with Dana Cavalier. Dana Cavalia, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Pumped to have you, my friend. Mike, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, you have a very interesting career, ultimately, uh, having been the strength and conditioning coach for the New York Yankees. I'm a Giants fan, so uh, <laughs> you know, kind of feel a little bit um, uh, dirty talking to you, but... Um, but you know, it's uh, it's it's honored. I'm honored to have you on the show, and I look forward to hearing about your story and sharing your story and the lessons you've learned with my audience. Yes, definitely, absolutely. So you know, there's obviously a lot of gaps between you know how you started out and then ultimately earning the the opportunity to be the strength and conditioning coach for the famous or infamous New York Yankees, and. Uh, and I'd love for you to fill in the gaps. So when did you get started? When did this idea of becoming a strength and conditioning coach first attract you and all of that jazz? So, you know, it goes back to uh, really going to one of my first games at Yankee Stadium with my father. And, you know, I, I was a young baseball player. I loved the game. I loved the practice, the whole nine. And I, you know, I loved the Yankees. And my dad said, hey, you want to go to a game? It'll be your first one. And, you know, we, we sat all the way up in the nosebleeds. My parents are teachers and, 
you know, that's what we could do. So we sat all the way up in the nosebleeds looking down. And when I looked on the right field line, I saw this guy that was standing on the line, stretching players and was very involved with the players. And I, I kind of took a, a mental imprint and photo imprint of that, of that guy. And later on, as I was getting ready to make a choice as to where I wanted to go to school, I knew the cold weather in New York was not for me. And uh, I decided to go to the University of South Florida down in Tampa. Started uh, going to school as an athletic training major, go to uh, transition to exercise science. And, um, you know, the reason I decided to go to school in Tampa was because that's where the Yankees had spring training as well as a bunch of other major league teams. And I said, wouldn't that be awesome if I could get involved with, with these teams as a, you know, a coach in some way? So anyway, here I am in Tampa. Spring training is getting ready to start. It's February. Boom, it kicks off. I drive up to the field in my, you know, beat up 300 uh, ZX Nissan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I pull out my camera phone. It was back when the flip phones were out. And, you know, I have this, you know, uh, terrible camera phone that I'm using. And I'm through the chain link fence. I see Jeter. I see Pettit. I see all these guys. Now the sun's out. It's 80 degrees. I'm in Tampa. Everyone I know is in New York because, you know, when you grow up in New York, um, especially on Long Island where I grew up, you never leave. So, I was sending all these pictures home and, um, you know, literally uh, a week later, I start interning with the strength and conditioning department under coach Ron McKeithrie at the university of South Florida. And he says, uh, Dana, you know, anybody that would be interested in helping out the Yankees, uh, during spring training this year, it was a very loaded question. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. He goes, we'll probably need you about three days a week up there. The head strength coach, his name was Jeff Mangold at the time needs some help. So I show up you know, park my car. This is like the greatest day of my life, you know, being a fan. And I may get to meet some players. We'll walk up to the stadium, open the door. Hi, I'm Dana Cavalier. This guy Patrick meets me. He goes, Dana, you got to come with me. And he throws a lanyard over my neck. It has my name on it already. They throw me into Yankees gear. And next thing you know, I'm walking through the dugout onto the field in the middle of team stretch, a giant circle of players, Jeter, Asada, Pettit, Clemens, you name it, they were all there, along with about a hundred cameras up the sideline. And I was just like, wow. It just in that moment, everything became real as to to what I just somehow pulled <laughs> off as a, a naive 19-year-old that had a vision and had a dream. And and uh, you know, what I later learned is I was uh manifesting all of this, I uh, you know, throughout my youth, and boom, it it happened. And I really you know, never looked back. I mean, I didn't get hired out of college to be the head strength coach of the New York Yankees, but you know, I did show up to spring training for the next three years. I was invited back and on the downtime in between, I would go literally train people for cash on my high school football field, just so I can make a few bucks so I can be open for February and March every year. And then, you know, um, about three years in, it finally happened. And Brian Cashman called me in our general manager one off season and said, Hey, would you want to be uh, the assistant? And I said, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't care how much I got paid. I didn't care if I got paid. I was like, yes, I'm in. And, um, and that's really how my, how my journey started. And um, to, to get the head strength coach position, there were literally a couple injuries in April one year, my first year on the job as the assistant. And uh, by the end of April, um, I walked into Brian Cashman's suite in Texas and I thought I was getting fired because of all the injuries. And turns out, uh, I was actually getting a promotion and 
he asked me, he said, Dana, listen, um, there's been a ton of injuries. I just let the head guy go. Do you think you could step in in his place and be the head strength and conditioning coach for the New York Yankees? And at that time, I was about 22, heading into 23. There wasn't uh, really anything I couldn't handle at that point in my own mind. And uh, I had that Jerry Maguire moment. I held it all in, my emotions, and then boom, when I, when I got out of the outside uh, his suite, I called my dad. Dad, you're not going to believe this. Wow. I'm the head coach. And it kind of, that's when everything came full circle. And um, it was awesome, man. I had some great opportunities. And what did your dad say to you when you called him? You know, my, my parents, like I said, are both uh, teachers and my dad's actually a musician as well. So it was a unique combo, but, um, he's like, give it all you got, man. This is your shot. This is your chance. This is your shot. This is what you've been working for and just enjoy it, work hard. And, and, you know, the, the standard, standard line. And that was followed up by, you know, let me know if I can get some tickets. <laughs> you know, I'd love to unpack a little bit of, of what you just said and in your story and how you got to, to be the head strength and conditioning coach. And, and there's a few things. And before we get into that, I actually, um, obviously being a New York Yankees fan, since you were a kid, you, you're familiar with the Stottlemyers, right? Mel Stottlemyer and all that stuff. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I had his son, Todd Stottlemyer on my show. Oh, wow. Um, a, a, a while back last year, phenomenal episode. You should go back and listen to that because talk about an, an, a like similar kind of story and, and, um, just having grown up around the Yankees and, you know, making it, making his decision at an early age that he was going to one day play professional baseball and ultimately putting in the work and getting there and went pitching two world series. And, um, Anyway, it's a phenomenal episode, but um, this is about you. And I, I want to go back to that moment when you walked into the stadium and you saw that that circle of, of guys stretching. It was kind of like your field of dreams type moment. You know, did you have any between that moment and and being named the head strength and conditioning coach? How did, how did you manage the imposter syndrome if you if you even experienced it at all? Yeah, you know, it goes back to, uh, you know, the, the CEO of Under Armour, Kevin Plank, always used to say, you know, then they said, how'd you do it? He goes, I was, uh, I was very naive. You know, I was smart enough to, buy, to be naive enough to not know what I couldn't accomplish. And it was very much the same there. You know, when you achieve something that's a vision, I don't know, you're in this, this place for a little while where you can't believe it's real and it's actually happening, yet life is still going on around you. You're just kind of like caught in this little like in-between phase. And that that's really what it was for me. I wasn't really just being honest. I wasn't 100% aware of what was actually going on because things were happening so quickly. And I could never gather myself fast enough for the next change. So I just let it happen. And I went with the flow and I just was myself. And you know, I was an intern really I, when I started, so I didn't have to know that much. And I identified as intern. I was there to learn. I was there to give. I was there to whatever you needed me to do. I mean, I would hang jock straps. Whatever you <laughs> needed me to do, I'm there. I'm happy to help. And you know, it's it's the same. I believe in any part of life when you're beginning something, whether it's a new chapter or whether you're you know, starting a business, you can't predict everything that's going to happen. And just being present enough and really just saying, Hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm enjoying it. And let's just do this thing. That's really where, where I was at. And 
you know, I was also too, don't forget, I was 19. So I was also still trying to figure out who the hell I was. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I was, you know, it's like that imposter syndrome. I'm like, well, who am I? You know? And Mm -hmm. so I had a lot going on at that time. And I originally, what I didn't say in the original story was I wanted to actually be a player on the Yankees um, Mm -hmm. throughout my whole youth. The reality was, um, I couldn't hit a 95 mile an hour fastball when it was offset with a, uh, you know, 12 to six curveball. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't hit it. So I found the fastest way to the big leagues. Um, and that was my, <laughs> that's my, uh, my claim to fame, if you will. Did you, uh, were you, did you play collegiate baseball or where did you, where did you learn that you, that, you know, you had talents elsewhere? Yeah. So I was actually, um, I was recruited by a, a bunch of D one schools in the, in the Northeast. I ended up uh, going to starting my college career at a D2 school called Queens College, just outside of New York City. And uh, at that point, I actually really loved training for the sport, mm-hmm. almost more so than I enjoyed um, playing the game, which is very strange. And uh, I ended up hating, like I said, the cold weather. And I just, that school wasn't for me. And my mom said, well, where would you want to go? And I said, Florida. And it was like palm trees. And I had this, again, another grandiose vision of myself, you know, walking around campus, you know, in shorts and a t-shirt and sunglasses in January. And, and uh, we went on a visit and I found the school that I loved. And in addition to the Yankees, my mother says, well, why do you like this school? And I said, the sports fields are amazing and the gym is awesome. <laughs> and, and it was like, and now that I think about it, as I'm speaking about this, I'm like, man, that was it was like, I, maybe I was destined to do what I did because I, that was really my passion. It wasn't so much playing the game. It was, you know, training and preparing and, and, and coaching others. That was really where my, my passion uh, was. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, the, uh, you mentioned the word manifest that you were really manifesting this and, and it's an interesting word in terms of, you know, visioning and, and working toward it. But I, I think that, um, that, it's a misused word today or a misunderstood word in a lot of entrepreneurial circles, uh, because, you know, it implies that, uh, you you can just sit there and vision something happening. And then all of a sudden it's going to, to, uh, show up on your doorstep. And at the same time, people also think, well, a lot of what people look at as success is the result of a bunch of luck. But I believe that, Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And that is where that's something I heard from a guy named Dr. Randy Pausch, who wrote a book called Last Lecture, Powerful Story. He unfortunately passed uh, yep. several years ago. But um, so I'd love for you to kind of unpack what that means to you in terms of the whole manifesting process and what you did behind the scenes to make that become a reality. And then also how you kept yourself open and prepared for opportunity to walk through that door when it showed up. I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, no matter how much I manifested myself playing shortstop for the New York Yankees, there was a guy named Jeter that was going to be ahead of me for 20 years. I didn't have the talent to get there and I couldn't manifest talent. And I, I agree with you because, you know, when I surf the web, I'm constantly, you know, um, I guess it's because a lot of the sites I go on, I'm somewhat interrupted by advertisements of people saying, well, you know, it's about vision. It's about uh, manifesting and self-belief and all that. And I wasn't just sitting there, you know, visioning this. Um, 
it was really, it was a gut feeling too. I asked myself, what do you want to do with you? What do you uninfluenced want to do with your life? Like what makes you feel good? Now, before that, I had tried different things as well. I've tried different settings. You know, I, I tried physical therapy and see if I liked the clinical thing with kids. That really wasn't for me. Uh, I worked the college, um, you know, circuit. That wasn't for me. And it, it just led me to that, to, to professional sports. I felt really good there. It aligned with everything that I stand for. And um, so my, my manifesting, I guess, was it was a combination of vision and gut feeling and like, Hey, Dana, what do you want to do with yourself? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? What would be awesome or for that part of your life rather. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I kind of came up with. I, I love that, by the way, I love that question. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I actually, I actually prefer to ask it this way. How do you want to spend the rest of your life? Because our time is the only non-renewable resource that we have. <laughs> Right. And I, and I want to say this, and it may be partially off topic, but I feel like in today's world, when you, whenever you talk about entrepreneurship, I feel like the common theme that's kind of put out there publicly is like, um, it's about freedom. And it's about, in a lot of instances, I feel like it's almost promoting not working. So it's like yeah. manifest and have this freedom and it's great, but uh, whatever you do to do it, to, to do well and be great at it, there there's a commitment that goes towards that. And you have to be so passionate about like, you know, like if you're passionate about a podcast and being great at it, you, you're all in on this. You know, this is your thing. This is what you do. You want to get um, behind the mic and get that next guest on. And um, for me, I, I just, I love what I, what I do. I love helping people. I love working. I've always loved doing what I do. And if I don't love it anymore, I don't do it. And the same thing goes for when I train people and I work with folks. If I'm not feeling it that day and I can't give them 100% or my, I'm distracted with something else, I call them and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not present enough today to give you the session you deserve. And I mm-hmm. have the, the confidence to say that because number one, they're paying me. You know, and, and number two, I don't want to devalue my personal brand and, and the experience that I deliver because I'm not 100% there today. And that's okay mm-hmm. too. You know, we're never going to be there hundred percent. That's what sports taught me as well. That's why guys don't hit a thousand every year. <laughs> no, that, that's a really, really good point. It, it's to have enough self-awareness and self-respect and not, not just self-respect for yourself, but a mutual level of self-respect that, that uh, doesn't cheapen what you're trying to deliver or how the, the client or the customer is going to receive your product or service. And I think that that is, a message that's lost um, on deaf ears a lot today. Yeah, it's the same as uh, you know going to work every day, and and I, I mean, I don't know how it is, you know, how people are where you know where you live out on the west coast, but uh, here in New York, people definitely wear it on their sleeve, and if they hate their job, you know it, and they tell mm-hmm. everybody. <laughs> and I just said, you, you know, like you're being paid to be there, and if the point comes where you don't want to be there anymore and you don't like it, leave. Mm. Because you're destroying your own, again, reputation, your own brand, your own psychology, that day-to-day fight that you have to have with yourself to go do this job. And you're running away from probably something you're really good at, mm. which, which you have, or you're not running towards what you're really good at. You know what I mean? What you're calling it. You know, these, are, these are definitely lessons that you've learned through your own experience and through observing 
other people. So when you think about the other people and the mentors and coaches that you've had in your life, who's the wisest person that you've met? Jeez, man. I don't know if I could tell you publicly because uh, some of them might get upset, but <laughs> I, I, I actually, I have... No one you know, listens to my podcast, so it's just yeah. between you and me. <laughs> All right. No, no, perfect. Um, you know, I have, I have actually multiple people I listen to in different parts of my life. You know, when it comes to, you know, my, you know, my core values and my upbringing and, and my fun, you know, just my fundamentals that, that comes from the, my parents, just who the, who, the, who I am uh, and how I live. And then I have a business mentor. Um, his name is Barry and he's been extremely successful just, you know, building businesses and selling them and other investments. Um, but I, I, I learn from, from a lot of different people, you know, what's, what's the number one lesson you've learned from Barry in terms of what it takes to succeed, but also in dealing with setbacks. Yeah. So Barry says this, this is his, his key line. He goes, uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So you got to have a plan that's summarizes into you have to have a plan. And then part two is anything that causes you angst must go people or things. Mm. And, and he said, stick, Stay with those two. And then number three is nobody can tell you how to build your life or your business. There is no success coach out there that could teach you how to build your life and build your business. He goes, because if you want to build something great, you're going to have to be unique. And in order to be unique, that means you can't copy other people. Hmm. So hmm. I feel, you know, and, and when I see, like I said, some of these ads that I'm interrupted by while I'm scrolling and doing different things, I'm sure that there's some great things to help other people. If we all read the same books, we'd probably all end up having a very similar thought process. And mm-hmm. I think all these unique individuals that we meet in our unique paths lead us to, some, to being um, much more of an individual and creating some truly unique uh, you know, businesses and, and, uh, you know, life stories, you know? So when you think about the, the second, the second key there, that, that, that get rid of all the things that cause you angst people or things, what are some, some things you don't have to name people. We'll keep, we'll keep people nameless, but what are some things that you had to get rid of in your own life to free up your mind, to create space in your brain so that you can show up fully in the world? Yeah. So, so, you know, Talking about business, um, you know, my situation with, with pro sports and working with the Yankees and, and working with the guys I work with, that's, that's always been really great. That's, that's been an awesome experience. Um, while I was doing that, I decided to open uh, several training centers in the New York area. I said, you know, how can I take what I do with these guys and deliver it, you know, through a brick and mortar facility and we'll grow this brand and we'll franchise it and we'll have facilities all over the country distributing my methodology. What I realized really quickly was business is really hard. And number two, managing people day to day is something that I am not really that passionate about. And therefore, I'm not that good at it. Hmm. Um, I, I bring it every day. And like I said, the days that I don't, I, I make a quick adjustment and I I either reroute my schedule or I change some things so I can make sure that I'm always delivering a great experience to my people. But I had to uh, make a choice over this past year. And the, and the choice was continue to build this brand, which I was, it was a dogfight every single day to get people to come to work on time and to, 
to, to make it happen and meet our numbers, et cetera. And I said to myself, is this your vision? Is, are you getting your message out and your methodology across the multiple people? And the answer was actually no, because the people I had to teach in order to get my vision out there, they weren't as receptive as I wanted them to be. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't as passionate about delivering my vision as I was, obviously. Um, so with that being said, I decided to uh, close those facilities and pivot and make some different, uh, you know, go in some different directions through speaking, doing, the, doing, you know, where I'm actually out there teaching these methodologies um, and, and ways. And at the same time, I'm doing more of a home, creating more of a home care business focused on a different audience. So mm-hmm. I, I had, I had to make choices um, because I felt that pressure and whenever it gets too snug and you can't, you know, you're just not making headway and movement the way you want. Mm-hmm. Don't burn the time. Time is not what's going to solve the problem. Uh, I had to make a choice to solve the problem myself. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. The thing that you're one of the things you're most passionate about talking about, and you started to tee it up a moment ago, is is the the fact that being in business is hard, and and that um, it's actually more challenging than being a professional athlete, and you need to train yourself and, and equip yourself in the same fashion that a professional athlete does. So maybe you can kind of share some of the the key indicators of what a pro pro athlete does to prepare him or herself and how we can apply some of those same strategies and techniques in our lives as entrepreneurs and business owners. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I will say this in going through that experience that I went through, I was really forced to deploy all of my techniques on myself and also create new ones to say, okay, well, what I, my, what's in my current toolbox is not working the way I want. How do I kind of, uh, you know, put some gas on this fire and, and create some new tools. And that's what I was, what I was forced to do. But, you know, when you get a chance to work next to guys like Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter, uh, you, you learn some really important things. Um, and I always used to ask Mariano Rivera, you know, how do you deal with situations? How do you deal with coming into a game where the game's on the line and you have to perform 56,000 people screaming, expecting you to get the win. And he said, buddy, I do three things. He goes, number one, I slow everything down. Number two, I quiet the noise. And number three, I throw one pitch at a time. Mm. And I said, okay, so, okay. uh, Quiet the noise, slow everything down, throw one pitch at a time. Wow. Okay. I said, and then what about the big situations? And he looked at me with a, with a smug look and he said, Dana, buddy, he goes, listen, all situations are the same. 
we make them big. That's mm. it. He mm. said, so I don't give anything that much power. And if you think about it, if whatever you focus on, big or small, you could make something small, big, and you can make something big, bigger. And that's when, when something happens in our life, you know, whether it's a, a classified, you know, self-classified failure, whether it's a business or relationship or whatever, we try to solve the problem, many, especially type A people. And we just don't stop until we, you know, get that solution or that answer. But usually we burn out before we get that solution or answer. And we, we quit um, because the angst and the stress that we create by hyper-focusing on a problem wears us down. So what I, what I learned is that stress and anxiety will derail you faster than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, you could gain 10 to 15 pounds, but you can't deal with stress and anxiety for an extended period of time without either, you know, having some sort of a cardiovascular episode, a panic attack, a meltdown, you know, or the need for, you know, prescription medication, uh, you know, to, to, de- to, to take that down a notch. Um, obviously, we don't want any of those things to happen. So mm. um, really, the focus of my training and, and my, what I do is based on four principles. I call them my four drivers of performance, which is, you know, your training, your mentality is number one, uh, which is your mindset, training, fueling, and recovery. So you, we look at, training oftentimes is like just your physical body, but it's really, it's training your mindset and it's not meditating every day. That's not what I talk When I talk about mindset, I'm not saying you have to meditate every day because meditation is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, But mindset is really about teaching yourself to frame things appropriately and giving things the appropriate uh, weight that they should have in your life. So for instance, I call it reframing. If there's a negative coming at you, how do you reframe that negative to, to be a positive? Or how do you reframe that negative to where you just diffuse it and it doesn't have that jarring, um, almost like stabbing impact where it, it cuts you and, uh, and takes you out of the game for a little while. So that's, that's really our first driver. In order to be great at anything, you need to have a strong mindset. And the common denominator amongst athletes, especially, especially at the pro level, it's oftentimes spoken of pub- by the public as ego, but it's actually just a high level of competitive confidence that is so much higher than the average person that they call it ego. It, so, I don't so, know if that makes so, Yeah, no, it totally does. And, and actually... Um... I'd love to like unpack that specifically because com- competitive confidence is a, is, is a, is a phrase I've not really ever heard before. I just made it up. That's why. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, as I was saying it, I said, you know what, what would you call this? It's competitive confidence. But, but that, you know? that makes total sense. <laughs> and, and when you think about it, I, so I interviewed a, uh, a Navy SEAL recently and his show is going to air in a little while, but, um, we were talking about ego and we were talking about ego within the teams, which seems counterintuitive, you know, team and ego and all of that stuff. Right. He said, but reality is Mike, that in order to be a seal, you have to believe that you are the best because in combat, your life depends on it. 
And so we were talking about it as ego in the in the negative sense. But when you actually look at it in this uh, framework of competitive confidence, I that is powerful. That's and and that's something that anybody can embrace and acknowledge and applaud as opposed to ego, which has such a negative connotation. To- totally, 100%. And, and let's even just talk about you, know, you building this podcast and coming on here and doing this, right? You had to have the confidence to, number one, put this together. Number two, not worry about being judged. And number three, you had to have the confidence to put yourself out there. You know? and, and so I look at confidence as like... you know. Um, almost like steps, right? To do things, you need different levels of confidence. So, you know, some people, you know, it takes a level of confidence to, you know, ask somebody out on a date. That's a certain level of confidence you need. If you're going to interview, you know, for a huge job or a huge promotion, you may need a little bit more confidence than that. So everything in life requires a different level of confidence. And you have to know, how many steps that you can actually climb. So not everybody's equipped to be a CEO of a company and sit with a a very aggressive board and hold their own. Not everybody has the confidence to be a courtroom, you know, litigator. It's, it's different, you know, to be a pro athlete and to be a little leaguer takes two different levels of confidence. So you have to know the arena that you want to play in and how much is required to play that game. And if you can get there, mm-hmm. but you know, in certain, there are certain career paths and certain things that require a level that, uh, you know, you may not be at, or you can't get to. Everybody's got different yeah. thresholds, you know? I think where ego comes in is how that competitive confidence is uh, displayed, you know, right. like verse, you know, Manuel Riviera versus like Brian Wilson, you know? Right. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, and there's a certain showmanship and, and versus a certain level of class, you know, that where you just come out there, you do your job and you, and, and then you, you know, you take the, the accolades where they're due, but you don't, it's not a, a showmanship, but, but in, in, in professional sports, you also need, I mean, there's a certain character and persona that people like because they want to be entertained. Totally, totally true. And you know, if you if you think about it, all of those guys on the field are still individuals. So although a Derek Jeter may move, you know, be uh, have a high level of class and grace, he's got a huge level of competitive confidence. I mean, he'll want to beat you in anything he plays you. He wants to beat you. I mean, if there's a basketball game, you know, hey, uh, you want to bet on it? You want to do this? Like it's always about competition. He just does it in a very graceful way. Mm-hmm. Um, where another guy like uh, we had a player, Nick Swisher, who was a guy that loved the spotlight. He couldn't get enough of it. And that actually helped him rise up to another level as a player. And when he didn't have that, he'd get actually kind of down. So he needed that to rise his game up. So everybody's different. And, and um, I, I've always been really big on, on individuality. And that occurs when you know exactly you know, who you are and you don't try to be something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certain people that are meant to be on the microphone. And there are certain people that are meant to be behind the scenes and both can be great and both actually need each other. I, you know, I'm thinking about Riviera's three things. And it was the third thing was focus on one pitch at a time. The second thing was slow things down. What was the first thing again? Quiet the noise. Yeah. Quiet the noise. Okay. So when you think about your transition into from 
head strength and conditioning coach to uh, now entrepreneur in your own business and, and creating a, a new life for yourself in that in that arena. And you think about these high pressure situations. How have you applied those three things? Give us an example of of where where you've tapped back into that. For me, I know my natural my natural tendency, right, is to get excited and be in a high state of excitability. And when I get to that point, everything goes fast for me. That's that's a dangerous place for me to be mm-hmm. because my mind is very vivid and it gets creative and and I I actually lose focus. Mm-hmm. So when I feel the onset of that, I need to really recognize it first and then dial it back. So, but I also know, you know, even to do a a show like this and come on with you, I can't like just, you know, to, Oh, I don't want to get too excited. So I can't just like roll out of bed and go do this. For me, it's all about getting yourself into your competitive place. So I come on here with you. I want to do a great job representing your show. I want to do a great job representing me. I can't do that if I'm, hey, Mike, how are you? Um, <laughs> hey, listeners, you know, I don't want to be a deadhead for you. I want to come on here and, and give great information. So I got to get myself to that place. And I do that through different things. You know, I'm not a meditator. Um, I find it difficult for me. I actually like to do exercise. I, I do meditative exercise, meaning I get on the bike and I'll pedal at a low rate of speed and I'll do actual like just some breathing exercises with it where I'm, you know, if I want to get excited for something, I'll do quick breaths in, out, in, out, in, out. And if I want to go bring myself down a level, I'll take four seconds in and a 10 second exhale, four seconds in, 10 seconds. And I'll repeat that. And I'll actually feel my system dropping. Now that, that works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cold showers help with excitability. Hot showers help to, to bring you down and calm, and calm the body. Mm-hmm. So those are just tools that, that, that I use personally um, based on my experiences. And, and you have, but it all starts with, with knowing yourself. If you're somebody that's really chill and laid back, you, know, you may have to work either certain situations may command you where you have to be a little bit more up. So you need to know how to get there. You need to know how to you know, get yourself where you need to be to do yeah, something. Yeah, totally. And there's, there's a, you know, that's, that's actually a $4 trillion business actually getting figuring out a map to get into flow. It's a, there's $4 trillion uh, from being invested in understanding that science, both on the public side and the governmental side. And, and it, cause it's, it's all about productivity and, and getting into a place where you're going to be productive and in the zone and, and in your, in operating in your genius. And it's, it's not something that uh, a lot of people are able to tap into easily. When so, you, you, Go ahead. I wanted I wanted to say this based on that. I did number one. I didn't know that was a four trillion dollar business, but I I feel that you can throw so much money at all of these different endeavors, you know, and and to to figure things out and do the research. But you just kind of using a baseball analogy, like what happens though if, like, how many companies have a hitter that should be a one hitter, hitting in the four slot, and they have a four hitter hitting in the one slot. So the, so the one hitter is just meant to like get on base. He hits, you know, singles and he's not a power hitter. Mm-hmm. The four guys, a power hitter. And what if they were flip-flopped? And mm-hmm. I see like people in workplaces that are so talented. They're just out of position. And the leader above them doesn't even, doesn't recognize that they're out of position. Mm-hmm. And if they did, 
Now we, that person that wasn't in flow will go into flow. It's just, it's, I've seen it in sports. Just when you're out of position, you're beat before you start. So how do you assess that? If you're in a leadership position and you're looking at your, your team and you got two talented people, but, but they're, they're just, something's off. Yeah. Is it, is it intuition? Is it actually something that's accessible? Yeah. How do you, how do you go about discovering that it's, that's as, as a simple position switch? Yeah. I think, um, what I've seen is everybody has a different level of talent. So even as a leader, it's your job. If you're a talented leader, you're going to identify somebody not, not being in the right spot. But the one thing that I think lacks overall, and I see it even now in sports, there's so many, like there's so much technology and everything's like metric driven that we lose the person. Like, I want to know, Hey Mike, how do you feel today? What's going on? And if I could start to understand your feelings and your patterns over a period of time, I'll start to realize what you really want and what you really need and what really makes you tick. Mm. And when I find that out, I can compare it to what, to what you're doing, you know, what your role is. And, and at that point, I can make a determination if you're in a good spot. Or some people, this is really interesting too, they're in positions that they've been in for 10 years. They're just bored. They haven't been challenged in 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't mm-hmm. jumped into the deep end of the pool. So I don't know if you can solve all of these problems with just the, um, you know, just research because research can be paid for and it can say whatever you want it to say. And a lot of times we learn that in, in, you know, sports medicine and sports science. But, um, I feel like Joe Torrey was such an incredible manager and he got so much out of his players because he talked, he, he talked to them and they weren't afraid of like, being judged by him and, and not playing or being traded. They, he just created such a, an open environment um, that was selfless. Like, so, like what would some of those conversations be like? Yeah, you know, sitting with, sitting with Joe, no matter, just as an, as an example, you know, if he saw you sitting by your locker by yourself, he'd come by and say, hey, Dana, come here, I want to talk to you for a minute. He had nothing to talk to me about. He just saw my, my body language and felt that he could help me that, in that moment. You mm-hmm. know? And he was, he was just really good at feeling people's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was very intuitive. It was almost like he was, al- he was always right. <laughs> he always <laughs> knew. He always grabbed at the right point. Not that I was you know, you know, in, in the dumps, but you know, I, I, he supercharged me after those conversations. I didn't even know. I didn't know I had a problem. He called me in. I left feeling like a champion. What, would, what were some of the things he would say to you? It would really go down to, hey, how you feeling? How's everything going? You know, are you having any problems? Are you having any issues? You know, do you need my help with anything? It was just, it, I almost, I'm laughing as I'm saying this to you because I know um, it's not uh, like, oh, you got to do this, this, and this. Or he did this, this, and this. It was really just letting me know that he, that he, he cared. cared. Yeah. He wow. cared. And, yeah. and, and it's like this guy, wow, Joe Torrey, he's getting pulled by the media. He's got this going on, that going on. And he took time out of his busy schedule to say, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. And I care. And, but he was still, a, a, um, he had high expectations and he, he was a, a hard ass when he had to be, but you, you knew that you had an ally in your corner. And I think yeah, but that's leadership. It, that's leadership. Yep. And in business today, I mean, how many, you know, 
people in the workforce are afraid to talk to their boss mm-hmm. or they don't, they, they have to wait for the perfect moment. But the reality is you shouldn't have to wait for the perfect moment. That leader, that boss, you know, that they should have come to you and asked you how you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know how far that goes mm-hmm. for an employee at, at any rank? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, morale is, I mean, that's a huge morale booster for sure. Yeah. When you think back to those players and, and you were talking about flow a second ago and, and all the research that's being done by it, did you notice, did you pick up on any rituals that they would go through themselves to get them into a, a mindset where they were like ready to go take on a high pressure situation? Yeah. So I'll give you a couple different examples. And the one thing I always say whenever I do an interview, um, besides giving these guys extremely high praise, I always say, they were the most consistent people you will ever meet in your life through, you know, if we had a rain delay, let's just say we started the game, then we were delayed. Then we started again. We were delayed. We started again. We delayed. They'd go through the same warm up three or four different times. They would panic because they needed to know, they knew exactly how long their pregame preparation would take. And they needed to know when the next start time was so they could work backwards. They were habits and routine like you would not believe. That's what made the greatest players great. They never compromised their routine. Through thick and thin, that was, was their anchor. But, you know, we had, there was a player, he, um, he played with us for a little while. He was with the Phillies. He was also spent most of his career with the Seattle Mariners. His name was Raul Abanez, incredible guy and an incredible player. And his routine, he used to come in the weight room in his sneakers and his pants. He was dressed. And he'd literally go lay in the corner on, on his back. He'd sit in the corner on his back. And I said to him, one day, what are you doing? Are you meditating? Are you visualizing? What are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just breathing. <laughs> like, I'm just sitting here breathing. He's like, I'm relaxing. And I'm like, well, what are you thinking about? He's like, nothing. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here. And then he'd literally get up. He'd do that for like five, 10 minutes, get up. And he'd go do some high knees and he'd run to the, uh, to the batting cage, take some swings and go. A guy mm-hmm. like A-Rod, you know, we had to put on Pat Benatar, you know, hit me with your best shot, the Rocky soundtrack. And he'd like to get totally fired up. And he'd go grab, you know, I'd set up the barbell. There'd be 305 pounds on it. And he'd do these clean pulls and then he'd do his sprints. And then he was drenched in sweat before a game. Guy like Jeter comes in, you know, he'd, uh, you know, before the game, he'd have his peanut butter and jelly sandwich every night. And then he'd start his stretch routine. He'd, he'd lay on the table, you'd stretch him, and then he'd go. But they all had the same routine. and if, uh, Or they all had different routines, but they all had the same amount of commitment and consistency to those routines. And those routines were 100% exclusive to them. I couldn't say, well, oh, Jeter does this, so you should do that. You know, it just doesn't work like that. Um, and it took them years to come up with what worked for them hmm. and, and they own it, you know? So if you, you know, you, you mentioned the word commitment there, which I, which I love. And, and I've been thinking about this as, as it relates to like an allocation, like a percentage allocation. So if you had to take a hundred percent and allocate it amongst these four categories, commitment, skill, talent, opportunity, where would you say that the best performers, be it in professional athletes in your experience or in working with entrepreneurs, the best are allocated? I would have always said, you know, commitment. That would have been my, 
you know, I would have put all the chips in that bucket. But the more and more that I'm around, like right now, I, I work with companies, I work with, you know, high level CEOs and high net worth individuals. And I got to tell you, I'm going to put a lot of my chips into the word, into the talent bucket. Hmm. Business is a talent. I mean, being successful is, is, it's a skill that you can get better at. But I believe like Alex Rodriguez could pick up a bat and smash the ball out of the park. There are people that have the gift of doing business and biz, their, their foresight, um, just what they can take emotionally. It's, it's a talent. It, it really is. Yeah, so where have you seen foresight at its best? And- Man, so I, I work with a, um, an individual. He owns a professional sporting team, but he made um, his success in the business of healthcare. And he's always looking forward. You know, he's looking at, you know, obviously what's going on, you know, through government. And he's also looking at what's going on in his own places. And he's looking at, you know, the next generation coming up and he's able to just see what's ahead and pivot his business. And he was pivoting before pivoting was cool. And he can just, he makes adjustments to create, you know, success within his organization. That's how they stay cutting edge and they stay ahead of the curve. But, um, so he's constantly innovating. He's constantly innovating, but it's not like innovation through like, you know, creation of new technology and things like that. He's innovating based on, on the, um, the trends that he's forecasting, you know, what people are going to need, like, Hey, um, you know, the nursing home is going to be a thing of the past because people, you know, in the next generation are going to be opting for more in-home care. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. let's start building our infrastructure to service that need, which is going to be more relevant in five years. But while everyone else is just figuring out in five years, we've figured it out five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And where, so it's just that constant focus on what's next, but being very present and aware of what's going on right now. So it's being present, but also being able to be extremely present and future, but, but prepping for the future. Um, I love it, but, but yeah, talent, man, it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a gift. We're all, we all have different gifts and you know, we don't all belong in business. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I can totally understand that, you know, and as we, as we begin to wrap up our conversation, I I have three final questions, but I want to make sure that people know where they can connect with you online. So are you on Instagram and all of those amazing places? Yeah, I am. I'm uh I'm the real coach D at Instagram and I put up some motivational stuff every day. Uh Facebook, Coach Dana Cavalier, um, Twitter, Coach Dana Cavalier. And uh I'm I'm around, but danacavalier.com, you could find all of those. And I do a daily blog just about performance. And I even encourage people if you have any questions about performance, I, I'll write custom stuff for people um mm, to help awesome. them in their journey. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, the first of our three final questions is if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess, so any skill you currently have and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Well, I'm pretty good at motivating and inspiring people. If I can take that to another level to actually get people, not just where they hear my words, but where they can actually, my superpower could get them to take action Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- that would be great. I want to create action for people. I want people to take action so they can actually believe that they can uh, 
get a result for themselves. I love it. I love it. The, the word motivation literally means to move. So that would be, that would be pretty powerful. Uh, if, if there are two or three lies that prevent people from realizing their full potential, what would they be in your mind? The, the biggest one I see is that they're looking for the perfect way. They're studying, they're researching, they're reading to find the way. But there is no way. The way is in you. Let, let yourself be your compass. Mm-hmm. My way is not your way and your way is not my way. And there is no right way. Mm-hmm. So just start doing. And what I always say is make mistakes. The mistakes that you make will lead you to the victories that you're seeking. Mm. Man, I love that, dude. I love that 100%. Get in the trenches. Yep. Uh, the last question is comes from the title of a book by a guy named Clay Christensen. Okay. The title is, How Will You Measure Your Life? How will I measure my life? Mm-hmm. Well, I try to think about that quite often, and everyone wants to leave that, that legacy, if you will. But um, everything for me is kind of centered around if I can get people to achieve uh, the things that they think that they can achieve, but they want to achieve, I'm a winner. I just want to have a lot of case studies where people say, hey, you know what? I met you. I heard you. I saw you. And after that, I took action and this is what I was able to do. Mm. And and if I can do that for people and, and do that for the next 30 or 40 years, and keep people mentally and physically healthy in that quest, uh, that's that's a win. I love it. Dana Cavalia, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It's been a, a privilege having you on and, and learning from your insights and, and gaining knowledge from your experiences. And I know the audience is going to benefit a tremendous amount from our conversation. So thanks again for your time. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.